continue our series of messages titled Adventures with Abraham. And today was supposed to be the final sermon in that series, but I'm going to add one more uh, next week. I want to add one on Abraham being called a friend of God. And what does it mean to be a friend of God? And I, it will be kind of an overview of where we've been the past few weeks as we go back and pick out a few things from Abraham's life uh, to where God was the only, that said that about Abraham and no one, no one else. He's the only person in the Bible that God said, Abraham is my friend. Wow. That's special. And so we don't want to miss that. We'll do that next week. We're going to end up in uh, Genesis chapter 25 this morning. But I want to get just a little running start because before we get to uh, Genesis chapter 25 and we just completed uh, Genesis chapter 22 last week um, where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. He never had to do that. God stopped him uh, in the very act. But to pick up the rest of Abraham's life, you, you pick that up in uh, Genesis chapter 25, but there are still two events, two major events that I don't want to skip. Um, and, and one is found in Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23, it's the death of Sarah. Okay, uh, Abraham's wife Sarah dies in... Uh, Genesis chapter 23, I want to begin reading verse 1. Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. The interesting thing about Sarah, she is the only woman in the Bible whose age is recorded at her death. She's the only one. 127 years old. Old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And that's the first occasion for tears in the Bible. It's the first occasion. Is that the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife? The entire chapter then is it covers Sarah's death. And her burial. And you, you gotta ask yourself, why in the world does the Bible take a whole chapter to talk about Sarah's death and her burial? Well, part of it is Abraham had to buy a cave for her burial plot, the cave of Machpelah. The cave of Machpelah. And Sarah's grave is important because her tomb was the only piece of real estate in all of Canaan, the promised land, that Abraham actually possessed during his lifetime. God had promised him the, the promised land, but as far as purchasing the promised land, the only property that Abraham purchased during his lifetime was the cave to bury his wife. You know, I was thinking about that this week, and I don't want to be morbid. I really don't. But the truth of the matter is, when you and I die, the only piece of property that you and I will own will be a plot in a cemetery. 
everything else will be given to somebody else. You'll get a box and a piece of dirt. That's it. The rest is divided up. I was reading a book this past week by John Ortberg, who's one of my favorite writers. And uh, we had done a small group study on this uh, a few years back here at the church. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. That's the name of his book. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And he makes the comment that if you're playing a game of chess, it doesn't matter if you're the king or the pawn. You go back in the box. And he's right. So that that very important incident, Sarah, the death of Sarah at the age of 127 years old in chapter 23. In chapter 24, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, you would probably think, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis probably would deal with the creation of the world. But you would be wrong. The longest chapter in the book of Genesis deals with a man trying to find a wife. And Abraham asked his oldest and his unnamed servant to travel 500 miles one way to get out of Canaanite country. He didn't want his son to marry a Canaanite woman. He had to go 500 miles one way. And at the end of chapter 24, verse 66, chapter 24, verse 66, it says, Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So in chapter 23, you have the death of Sarah. Chapter 24, you have the the marriage of Isaac. Very significant events. And if you look at chapter 25, verse 20, this is a very important verse. Genesis 25, 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Why is that important? Isaac got married at the age of 40. That's the end of chapter 24. We know, therefore, going into Genesis chapter 25, that Abraham is at least 140 years old as we get into Genesis chapter 25. Now, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your mind. He's at least 140 years old. And the first thing I want you to see this morning in verse 1 is Abraham's decision. Abraham's decision in Genesis chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. After Sarah's death, Abraham decides to marry Keturah. How old is he? At least 140. That's a little unusual. That's a little unusual. 
But not only do I want you to see Abraham's decision in verse 1, in verses 2 through 4, I want you to see Abraham's descendants. These were the sons born to him by Keturah at at least 140 years old. Abraham's going to have six more sons. And their names are given there. Now, I've said it in the past. We talk a lot about Abraham and Sarah and uh, Abraham fathering a son Isaac at the age of 100. Well, whatever was going on when Abraham was a hundred that allowed him to father a child, it's still continuing. It's still going on. That he could have six more sons at the age of at least 140. And I, and I think sometimes we miss out on the fact that is miraculous. It's miraculous. So now Abraham has eight sons. He has six from Keturah. He has one from Hagar, Ishmael. And he has one from Sarah, Isaac. He has eight sons. So if you have ever worked with children and when you ask them what song they want to sing and they want to sing Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. How many of you remember that? I hated that song. When I was when I was leading junior church, I hated that song because they'd make you do all these crazy motions and stuff. And I'd get dizzy when you would spin around. And I hated that song. But I want you to know, parents, as crazy of a song as that is, it is biblically accurate. Abraham had many sons, eight of them. He had grandchildren. He had great-grandchildren, as they're also listed here. And I don't have time to go into all of these names. And you wonder, why is it that the Lord names all of these children by names? What's the significance of, of all this? Turn back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Genesis 17, 5 and 6 says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations out of you. And kings will come from you. The reason those names are listed there in Genesis chapter 25 is that is a fulfillment of God's word. I'm going to make nations out of you, Abraham. There's going to be kings that are going to come out of you. And here is what we have. Now, I'm not going to take time to go over all of these, but I'm going to pick out three of them. Uh, the name Midian. If you remember, the Midianites were always enemies of Israel. The descendants of Midian were the Midianites. They were throughout history the enemy of Israel. But there's two other nations that I want to talk about this morning real quick. And one is Sheba and one is Dedan. And these two nations that came, that were the names of Keturah and Abraham's sons, and nations came out of them. These two nations will be significant in the last days. 
because Sheba and Dedan will unite with Israel at the battle of Gog and Magog. They're going to fight on, they're going to be on Israel's side. I think that's significant. I could tell you some more about these nations, but I think I'll let it go with that this morning. Verse 5 says, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. I I have to deal with this just for a moment. Abraham, in having these six sons, They were not the heir. They were not the child of promise. Only Isaac was that. So while Isaac got the inheritance, the total inheritance from Abraham, his other six sons, along with Ishmael, were given gifts, but not an inheritance. And all of the other seven sons were sent away. So as not to be a problem for the son of promise, Isaac himself. Now, in Genesis chapter 21, we have the account of Ishmael in verse 8. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. It says, the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. That's Ishmael. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman Hagar and her son Ishmael, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, Ishmael, the Arabs, because he is your offspring. So there would be no contention between the other seven sons and Isaac who received the inheritance. Those sons were put out. In verses 7 through 11, then, we have the death of Abraham. The death of Abraham. Verse 7 says, Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. 175 years. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. I'd say that's pretty good old age. 175 years. 63,875 days. 63,000. 875 days. The psalmist tells us to teach us to number our days. That's why I did that. That's a long time. But I want to show you something that I think is real neat. If if you go back to Genesis 15, 15. Genesis 15, 15. This is the covenant that God is making with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. 
and he promises Abraham some really neat things. Genesis 15, 15 says, You, however, this is Abraham, you will go to your fathers in peace. How many of you want to die in peace? Isn't that neat? God tells Abraham, when you die, you will die in peace. But then he says this, and you will be buried at a, what are those three words? Good old age. What do we see here in chapter 25, verse 8? He died at a good old age. Just like God promised him. You're going to die in peace. And you're going to die at a good old age. And then it goes on. It says he's going to be an old man and full of years. And I'm told that that, that phrase full of years does not just talk about the quantity of life. The number of days, it refers to the quality of life. And built into that full of years is the idea of being totally satisfied with life. He died in peace and he died being totally satisfied with life. Wow. What a statement. And he was gathered to his people. You know, people don't like talking too much about death. There's a lot of different ways that people approach it. Some just are kind of in denial. They just don't want to talk about it. Some talk about it and, and make it almost a joke. And I pulled out three of my favorite comical ways of looking at death. Listen to this one. You've probably heard this. Woody Allen said, I am not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. George Burns said this, if you live to be 100, you've got it made. Very few people die past that age. And if you remember, George Burns, the comedian, when he was 90 years old, he held a 100th birthday party for himself just in case he wouldn't make it. And he did. He lived to be 100 years Two months old, George Burns. Winston Churchill lived into his 90s. And he said the only exercise I, I, he ever got was serving as a pallbearer for his friends who died while they were exercising. <laughs> I know that was bad. Winston Churchill, I mean, death. Death. I remember when I was a youth pastor here a number of years now ago now. I remember there was a student from Leo High School who committed suicide. And at the same week that that came out, there was a student at New Haven High School who had died of natural causes. The same week, these two young men. And at that time, a lot of our youth group was coming from New Haven and also from Leo. 
And I thought, Lord, I've got I've to deal with that subject of death. And how do I make this so real? Because when you're a teenager, man, the last thing on your mind usually is death. You think you're going to live forever. And so I, I thought, how can I get this across to the young people? What This whole idea about life and death. And, and so I'll never forget, it was a Wednesday night and the, the youth showed up. It was when we were meeting at the basement of our house across the alley. And I, I had the van ready and I, I took them over to the cemetery at the corner of Maumee and Anthony, that cemetery over there. And I, I spoke a few minutes about the subject of death. And then I gave them an assignment. I set them loose and I, I, had each, I had a note, a little notepad for each one of them. And I said, I want you to walk through this cemetery and I want you to write down what you see off those tombstones concerning what was this person's philosophy of life or death. What does it say was their priority on that tombstone. And our, our young people spread out and they, they brought it back and we started talking about philosophy of life, philosophy of death. And that was an interesting evening, let me tell you that, with young people bringing back that information and, and going over that. Chris, would you pull up the slide that I have this morning? David Lee Binkley, 1959 hyphen question mark, Acts 13:36. Now this is not my tombstone, but this is what I'd like my tombstone to look like. You'll notice the date to the left is the day I was born, 1959. I had no vote in the matter. I did not choose my parents. I did not choose my birthplace. I did not choose my birth order. I did not choose my DNA. Those were all chosen for me. I had nothing to do with that first number. The, the next number is yet to be determined. And apart from suicide, you and I have no say in that next number either. The only say we have in life is what do we do with the dash between the dates? And every single one of us who are here today, our life, whether you live a long life, whether you live a short life, your life will be reduced to a dash between the dates.
I don't know if you've chosen some life verses. I've chosen two. One is Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But my second life verse is what I want on my tombstone. Acts 13.36. It says, For when David had served God's purpose for his generation, he fell asleep. I want that on my tombstone. And I hope that that's true before the eyes of God, that when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. That's what I want lived out with the dash between the dates. Serving God's purpose for my life in this generation. There's a poem, I was going to read it, but I think I'll let it go, called The Dash by Linda Ellis. And she goes into that idea of the dash between the dates. But one thing I see in this passage, and I think it's appropriate today, I, when I set up this sermon series, obviously I didn't know it was going to be the day that Dave announced his resignation. But he's passing the baton today to someone. We don't know who that person is yet. But that baton is being passed. In the Old Testament, we see it a number of times where, where someone actually dies and then the baton is passed to someone else. I, I think of when Moses died, the baton was passed to Joshua. When Elijah uh, left this earth, when he left this earth, the, the baton was passed to Elisha. In the New Testament, when John the Baptist died, the baton was passed to Jesus Christ. And there's the importance of passing the baton on to the next generation. The year was 1996. The Summer Olympics were being held in Atlanta. There was an event that all the world was waiting for. It was in track and field. It was the 4 by 100 meter relay. The United States was heavily favored. It was the year, if you remember back in 1996, the big debate was, at that time, it was, this was going to be Carl Lewis's last Olympics. He had, already, he had won nine gold medals and a, a tenth. Arguably, he was the greatest track and field runner that the United States ever had. It came time for the 4 by 100 relay and they were trying to figure out should Carl Lewis run on this relay team because at one time he was the fastest human being in the world but he was the younger guys that were on that relay team thought that Carl was getting a little old and they thought they should go with a few younger legs. So the debate all across the United States, people were waiting. Is Carl Lewis, who had never practiced with the relay team, he had never taken a pass of the baton, would Carl Lewis run in that 4 by 100 meter relay? 
And they kept it quiet. No one knew until right about the time the race was ready to start. Carl Lewis did not run. The four young men who had been practicing, passing their baton, they ran. The first runner from the United States got us a nice little lead. But between the second and the third runners, as they were passing the baton, there was a struggle and they messed it up. Between the second and the third runner. Finally, the third runner passed the baton to the fourth runner who was our anchor man and he was too far behind to make up the ground. And the four by 100 meter relay team from Canada won the gold. The United States took uh, silver and uh, I think it was Brazil took bronze if I remember right. But it was all because of the poor exchange, the poor pass of the baton. The United States runners were faster, but they messed up the pass of the baton. And if you remember that Olympics, that was the one where the, the anchor man from Canada, Donovan Bailey, ran across the finish line with his fist up like this, and he had turned and had looked at the runner from the United States in disgrace, in embarrassment. And then he crossed the line and Canada won. The United States, a lot of people have never forgotten that. It all came down to the passing of the baton. We today, we're like Abraham. When Abraham died... He did a great job of passing the baton off to his son, Isaac. Isaac passed the baton off to his son, Jacob. Jacob passed the baton off to his son, Joseph. And 4,000 years removed from the cave of Machpelah and the death of Abraham, the baton is still being passed to our generation and to those of us 4,000 years later who meet at Harvester Avenue Missionary Church. The baton is being passed. The baton of truth. The baton that's given us in Genesis chapter 18 where one of the greatest compliments that is paid in Scripture is paid to Abraham. And I will close with this. Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verses 18 and 19. This is what God says to Abraham just prior to Abraham interceding for the city of Sodom. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Now pay attention to this. For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him. God says about Abraham, I know he's going to pass the baton well. To his children and to the children, the household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Wow. So this morning, I have two questions for you. One is. 
How are you living out the dash between your dates? And secondly, how good of a job are you doing passing the baton on to the next generation? We're going to ask you... No, we're not going to have you stand. Pastor Bob's got a, uh, a DVD of a song. I want you to think about because it, it's all over this idea of passing the baton. Uh, listen as Steve Green sings the song, and may all who come behind us find us faithful. 